0: Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose, with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We're particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. I'm really glad you could join me today because we're going to be speaking with Erica Austin-Knopp. And here in Christchurch, she's been involved in a number of different things, ranging from Ministry of Awesome, Singularity University, TEDx, Christchurch. She's a person who's behind the scenes organizing many events in the city. And it's a fascinating conversation just hearing her perspective on what it takes to get events right and what it means to be an experienced curator. Here's an excerpt from the interview with Erica.
1: Maybe it's just really embracing the uncertainty and not just letting go on all all of the plans and robustness in my schedule that i that i opened up all of these opportunities
0: now in next week's episode we're going to be going a completely different direction again and talking with dr jared gilbert from the university of canterbury jared is an expert in gangs of new zealand and we talk about the research that he's done as well as the criminal justice system And some of his experience doing research for the book which outlines the history of gangs in New Zealand so I know you're going to enjoy it there is a community developing around this podcast and so there's one other thing I wanted to share which is John Hammond who I interviewed back in December has passed away we knew at the time of interviewing that he had terminal brain cancer and so he was very open and willing to share about his journey and his attitude was absolutely amazing So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and have a listen. John passed away last week, and so I attended his funeral last Thursday, and the church was absolutely packed. Even at the back, there were people standing, and it was an amazing testament to somebody who'd been given this news that they had something that they couldn't recover from, and yet faced it with courage. So I just wanted to express my condolences to the family, to Aaron, Jack, and Derek. And the amazing thing is that that interview does something that I hadn't anticipated, which is preserving John's voice, talking about what he was going through and how he was getting through it. So just last week, that interview was listened to more than 100 times, and it's been listened to hundreds of times by people all around the world. So you might want to check that one out if you haven't listened to it. And thanks again to those of you who continue to tell others about this podcast. Now let's get into this interview with Erica. So I'm here with Erica Austin Knopp, who's the Christchurch Ambassador. And Erica, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me, yeah.
0: Um, On this show, what we do is we talk about purpose, and it's called Talking Purpose. But in order to do that, um, it's quite helpful to hear about people's backgrounds and their stories, and just understand where they're from and what brought them to the point that they're at today. So what I'd love to do is to go back to your childhood and just find out a bit about um, your origins and, and what's led you to where you're at today.
1: Great. So I am Chinese-born. Um, I come from Guangzhou, China. And since um, 1997, uh, we did a family trip out to New Zealand just to sort of explore and spend a couple of weeks in um, a foreign country to see if um, you know, we like it. And there was actually two choices, um, whether we moved to Canada or New Zealand. And um, we loved how we, um, you know, integrated with, with um, the community here while we stayed and visited. And then we decided to move here in 1998. Ah, oh, um, so and did
0: you have family or friends who had already made the move, or were you?
1: Yes, we actually had two family friends who already did the move before us, and uh, they actually gave us more comfort and support in um, making that decision. Mm.
0: Yeah. And, and what are your memories of China? Because I'm guessing you were a child back then. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what 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 do you remember of China like before the move? Were you old enough to really understand, you know, where you were living and things?
1: Um, the, the thing that I do remember, it is um, very overly crowded and um, lots of uh, various ways of uh, transportation. And wherever you go, everything's quite convenient. And uh, in 1998, um, as you can imagine, at that point, New Zealand is still sort of in that um, stage of uh, not entirely developed and there aren't any people in the streets during the day and when we were here we were like oh it's it's like coming to a village in China <laughs> <laughs> and um, not having any interaction with your neighbors um, because you know in an in, in Asian country you'd expect high rises and skyscrapers and you see people everywhere through your windows but here it's just this calm and peaceful land that you sort of inserted yourself. So we took a long time to adjust, but um, we really like that peacefulness. Mm.
0: So that really made an impression on you and your parents, it sounds like. Yeah. And, and so your parents, what was their motivation
1: for leaving? Um, I think one point was just to uh, change their lifestyle as well. Um, they are both trained in uh, structural engineering, and uh, they wanted to explore um, other opportunities um, Here, yeah. although my, my father did end up staying with a job in China, and he would travel back and forth mm-hmm. um, from Guangzhou uh, to uh, Auckland at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we moved to Auckland, um, and I lived most of my life in Auckland, um, and trained as an architect because of my upbringing of understanding um, structure and engineering, and combining that with my love with art and um, creativity. I decided to do architecture. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And just describe that transition from China to New Zealand. Um, Like, for example, language, was that a difficulty for you? Or had you been studying English before you came?
1: I did not study English at that uh, moment in time. Uh, English was not a compulsory language you study at school. So I only did my first year in primary school in China. And uh, we did not have a English class so when we got here um, I was thrown into a normal English classroom mm. and the only other um, person I could relate to was a girl from Taiwan and she was uh, quite uh, fluent in English and um, so she, she actually wasn't the person who helped me um, transition into an English environment but I was um, staying and uh, hanging out with a group of uh, um, locals and they were the people who really helped me and I think I started becoming more comfortable after about eight months Mm -hmm. Um, because I was really young I was able to pick up a lot of language and I grew up with three different dialects in China so Cantonese, Mandarin and Wuhanese Um, so Wuhan is actually the the city of Christchurch and so it was very interesting for me to um, being able to pick up all the skills I've learned while learning my dialects and plus English.
0: Mm. Yeah. And apply them to learning English as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah exactly. and, and do you have memories like you were quite young, it sounds like, do you have memories of that not being able to understand what people were saying around you?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, was, I felt quite lonely mm. at a certain time, um, but I did make friends with another um, Chinese girl um, in a different classroom. Mm. And so we were both at a similar um, stage of our life where we only just moved to New Zealand. So we created this little tiny, you know, Chinese community. Yep. Um, and then a few others joined our group. As well. mm. And
0: yeah. do you think that um, arriving in a new country and not speaking the language and things, have you seen that play out through your life where it's impacted it?
1: Um, I think um, it hasn't really impacted on my life um, specifically because at that point there weren't a lot of Chinese immigrants. But as time went by, there are more and more um, Chinese people in more and more isolation in terms of um, friends, um, friend circles. So for me, it was actually a really good opportunity to integrate more into the culture of New Zealand because Mm -hmm. I was forced to Mm -hmm. by default. And um, so
0: there weren't other people that you could speak to. So you had to adjust. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
1: So um, so even today, I meet a lot of international students and I'm like, the only way that you can understand the culture is to not go back to your Chinese friends, Mm -hmm. but to explore other ways of making friendship with any other um, Mm. nationality.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And so just describe for us a little bit about, say, in high school, What sort of a person were you? What sort of subjects did you enjoy studying?
1: Um, I was very much in love with mathematics and physics. So I was, um, because of the influence of my parents, I I really loved numbers and um, accurate answers. Like, you only have one answer in a math class. You only had one, you know, um, answer in a physics class. But also... For some reason, I was also drawn to um, art and design, which had an uncertain outcome. Right. And so it was... Because there's
0: a lot of creativity involved in drawing and um, design, isn't there?
1: Yeah, and where you draw inspiration really helps shape what the outcome is and um, shows how your emotion is at that moment in time um, but also um, allows you to just experiment Mm -hmm. and so it was very actually hard for me to to grasp what I was like drawn to and so I didn't actually choose my topic of um uh you know career path uh, until like later in the year in my last year of high school because I was so torn Mm -hmm. and architecture came came into play Mm. and I didn't actually even know what architecture was at that point right so how
0: did it emerge into your world or how did it unfold as an option for you
1: Uh, one of my um dearest friends um family uh were architects Mm -hmm. and so they were like why don't you you know think about architecture it's you know using your skills and the sort of the technical um, calculations and making sure that buildings stand up but also inserting um, all of the creativity and curating spaces and and ultimately serving the people Mm. and so that's what got me Mm. yeah
0: and is that a, a sort of a moment that you remember clearly where you came home one day or something and thought this is what I want to do or was it a gradual evolving awareness of this is what I want to devote my time to
1: it was definitely yes I want to do architecture right um so the three the three um programs that I applied for uni was engineering planning and architecture Mm. um just to honor sort of um my influence in engineering and But I really wanted to do architecture. Okay. And so I had only three months to pull together a portfolio where others may have two years. Mm. And so after school, I would go home and plan out all of the different elements that I need for that po- portfolio um, for me to be able to, to succeed mm. in applying.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah, And so where did you study? Was that in Auckland as well?
1: Yeah, so University of Auckland, yes.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess what were some of the things that you enjoyed about that environment or studying to become an architect?
1: I really enjoyed just exploring different ways in understanding the world So in our first year, we actually didn't do much architecture. We didn't do much um, actually designing houses or buildings. We explored uh, ways of creating food or um, uh, write uh, our day-to-day activities um, and how we can change that in a more sustainable way of doing things. Like, you know, how do we uh, get to uni? Uh, Like, what are the different modes of transport you can use um, without harming their environment and really sort of starting to analyze um, how we impact um, on the world mm. but also how other people have um, uh, play a role in that as well mm. so the first year was um, more of an experiment um, to understand where and what you love about architecture in general to go into different sort of studio groups in the second year mm. um, for you to explore urban issues or housing um, specifically,
0: mm. yeah. So they're teaching you to to have a deeper level of understanding, rather than just drawing something on a page. You're right. actually thinking through what is this going to be used for, and who are the who are the recipients of the building or whatever it is you're designing. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that's really interesting. Um, and in terms of the the university, and uh, what were some of the key things, I guess that you you took from that training.
1: So um, it really can, comes into two parts. So the first four years, oh actually three and a half years I was really um, really adamant that I'm going to be an architect and I'm going to go into firm and going you know to um, be registered as an architect to, to develop and design buildings for people. but um, it really coincided with the Christchurch earthquake. And we had an opportunity to look at the draft plan that came out um, in 2011 and to be like, right, let's let's take a realistic scenario and see what we can come up with. Um, so at that point, um, I was doing my masters in my fourth and fifth year. And I had an opportunity to really think about how does architecture become a catalyst for growth? Mm. And that was when I met um, a few of my key influencers Mm -hmm. of my life um, that really helped me shape an even bigger understanding of what architecture has to you know offer Mm -hmm. to a city that um, experienced the earthquake Mm -hmm. and so during my first three years I was learning about structure learning about how to create coming up with concepts the processes of how a building comes together how to work with council in the last two years was really about how do we actually make a positive in- impact on the built environment. Mm. And, yeah.
0: and I think one of our mutual friends, Kamiya Young, uh, has been interviewed on this podcast actually, yeah. and she's talked a little bit about her process. Was she there at the time that you were there as well?
1: Yes, so she was actually my uh, master's supervisor. Mm. So she was one of the uh, most influential person um, earlier in my career um, to really draw out my creative potentials and what i can do uh, and then what i can offer as erica mm. um, to the world mm. yeah
0: mm. oh that's great um what what was uh, how does it work like you talk about doing the masters did you have a thesis or some particular focus for that or what was it
1: yeah so the master program is a two-year program so the first year is uh, still um, split up into different studios and you work on um different projects and a semester and then you move on to a different topic in the second semester but the last year of the master's degree is a an entire year that you can focus on one thing that you're passionate about and so Camille ran a a unique type of studio where we had six of us all focused on creating and looking at different economies in Christchurch but we each had our own architectural outcome that became the cal- catalyst for growth mm. in that economy. But when you read all of our theses together, it's uh, a series mm. um, in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So is it, in a way, like chapters of the same book? Yes. Right? Yeah. Oh, so interesting.
1: One of us um, focused on the green economy, uh, the sustainability side. There was a housing uh, chapter, an education chapter, a transport chapter, uh, and an innovation chapter. And my one was um, more to do with uh, the events, the tourism, and how we can create an experience economy.
0: Ah, So it was already what you're doing now, which we're getting to in a minute, it was already taking shape there in, in the background of what you were studying. Yes. Yeah, And I think Camille is a fantastic person. I just loved having her on the podcast and hearing about her life because, of course, she'd been an architect in Europe. Yes. What were some of the things that you observed in in what she was teaching you that that maybe you wouldn't have gotten from other teachers?
1: So firstly, the studio structure was very different. It was the first time that a university was able to do a group thesis together but still had our individual thesis. Mm -hmm. And so how she structured the studio was that we became consultants in an office that worked on the same project. And we each have our own role and our own delivery, de- de- deliverables. But uh, we worked as a team in terms of uh, creating a, uh, a common narrative and, and work towards a common purpose. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, f- I just find that she's very encouraging and, mm, and, and has lots of great ideas. So she's a good person to have learned from, I bet, at, mm. that, at that point in your career.
1: Yes, and it was very interesting because a lot of the students get so stuck in their thesis year that they don't have that interpersonal skill, they don't have the networking skills and that sort of transitional skills when mm. you get into the industry. I think she taught me a lot about how to um, work in, in a world where you have to collaborate with people. You have to you know, work with different types of people in different industries to make something happen.
0: Right. because normally people would be off working on their thesis and it's their thing and they're focused on it, whereas you were actually integrating what you were doing with the others. Mm,
1: Yeah, and so we actually curated uh, a few trips down to Christchurch where we had to meet with local um, people who are doing active things, and at that time it was the gap fillers and the greening the rubble Um, and the art boxes and Mm -hmm. um, people who are running community events and we we were able to meet these people during these trips and have uh, conversations that really informed what we do Mm -hmm. in our thesis
0: yeah and so just talk us through the transition from that point in your life um, to I guess moving down to Christchurch like how did that happen and or did you work in Auckland for some time or what what went on there
1: so uh, before I uh, was working on my master's, I had opportunities to uh, go into different firms to do internships. So I've um, worked with um, more architects, uh, who designed the Sky Tower in Auckland, uh, and also Jazzmax, um, uh, and worked with the landscape architectural team to do research in Christchurch. And so after experiencing uh, the day-to-day um, office practice, I was like, oh yeah, I can get into this. But it wasn't until my fifth year that I was exposed to opportunities in Christchurch that I had to rethink about my decisions then. Because mm. the, up until
0: then, you, you were very keen to become an architect, right? Practicing exactly. architect. yeah,
1: Exactly. And so th- at that point in, in time, um, in parallel, my personal life, my, my dad passed away. And so it really impacted on my personal life and and my way of looking forward. And so from that moment on, I was like, maybe it's just really embracing the uncertainty and not just letting go on all, all of the plans and robustness in my schedule that I, that I opened up all of these opportunities. Mm. So one of the most important opportunities that I had um, during my last year of architecture school was be one of the coordinators for FISTA. So a festival of transitional architecture. So that was the first year that they uh, had um, done it. Uh, and we had six studio groups in University of Auckland in the second year that I uh, had the pleasure of tutoring as well. And also we worked with Unitech and CPIT, which is ARA um, here in Christchurch, um, and other design school students to create this enormous Architecture, transitional city experience in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. And so that really helped me open up my eyes where I'm um, involved in this massive event that was extremely stressful when I was teaching and doing my thesis, but it gave me so much more than what I expected. And for me to stand in the middle of the street along with 20,000 people that would probably have never come into town um, when Gloucester Street was first opened, um, it was transformational in my life. Mm. Yeah. So
0: that was a moment that you will always remember, it sounds like. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And just talk us through a little bit more. I'm always curious about people's lives and the points in their life when you look back that you realize mm. it was so influential. Mm. Um, just talk us through, the just with your father passing, mm. um, what were some of the lessons that you learned from that or the attitudes that may have changed from before and after?
1: I think... Because I've grown up in a traditional Chinese family, there's always been expectations of of how your life will be. And so, you know, you've chosen a career, you have to stick with it. You have to go into this profession and you have to work your whole life in this profession. At some point, being a woman, you have to be married at a certain age and you have to have a certain amount of kids. So that is pretty much set in stone for me. Um, and at one point I remember, um, my parents asking me, so you're nearly at the end of your master's degree. When are you thinking about doing your PhD? And no. I'm like, hang on, <laughs> just there, there's something going on there, but I, I, I didn't take notice at that point. But, um, since my, my dad passed away, uh, it got me thinking about what, how much time does one have mm. to do the things that they love? And so I was doing more of the things that I loved doing, which is, includes dancing um, and exercising um, with a larger group of people at that point to um, to distract me from um, thinking about um, my dad. Mm. But during that time, I was also very active in the, the uni campus that I found joy in helping other people and being a part of something. So from then on, I was... I was. I stopped planning my life, and I actually made a really courageous decision to just come to Christchurch after my graduation with no accommodation plans, no, you know, work lined up. I just came, and I actually just just spent a year volunteering. Um, yeah.
0: And that moment that you decided to come, do you remember that moment or?
1: I, I vividly remember me making that decision based on the fact that I've just finished the most amazing event mm-hmm. in Christchurch, that I wanted to do more. And so I was talking to Camille, and because she was already based in Christchurch, she was like, yes, let's you know, get you here and, and, and um, get you started on uh, being part of the community um, on, in a continuous um, type Um, of of, uh format but it was for me i was i was like oh yeah let's let's do it next month like you know i finish i finish all my thesis work i'm gonna move there and so sometimes i freak people out when i make those really rapid fast decisions but it's one way of for me to make sure that i'm comfortable actually doing it by telling people that i'm doing it Mm -hmm. so but I, I remember a lot of people in Christchurch were like, oh, we have to find something for Erica to do or, you know, she, she won't be um, doing anything. So the community actually came together and I, I ended up volunteering um, at uh, the Pallet Pavilion, which Camille designed. It's uh, the temporary uh, community space out of 3,000 pallets in the middle of the city and they had a community cafe and I was the um, barista volunteer. Mm. Yeah,
0: that's great. I I think um, I've moved around quite a lot in my life and moved different countries. And Mm. sometimes when you make those big decisions, and people say, why, what are you doing? (laughs) Mm. Sometimes I find that it's actually the making of the decision that justifies the decision. Yeah. And that up until that point, you know, there's many paths in life, many roads that could be taken. Mm. And actually, it's choosing to go down this one that makes it the right path. Mm. And I think sometimes people get, have, of course there's many options, but then they never make a decision mm. and they just keep going, doing what they were doing. So yeah. I really like to hear that story. Yeah. You know, if uh, you just made the decision, I'm going to go, I'm mm. going to do this.
1: Yeah. And, and even to this day, my, my mother still asked me, so what do you do? What, mm. Do you have a real job? When are you going to get a real job? for me is if you're not doing something that you love then there's no point of doing a job so for her um, for her to really understand that after you know five years of being in Christchurch it was a difficult journey trying to justify what I'm doing Mm. is is right for my own life but I think she sees that I find joy in the work I do Um, and she's she's happy that I'm happy mm. yeah.
0: and was your family a uh, one child family yes. from China so you didn't have siblings and no. yeah so that yeah. that changes the dynamic again doesn't it that yes. it's you're the only child like I'm just thinking through from a parent's point of view because I've got young kids as mm. you know <laughs> yes. and thinking through for them what would their life hold and um, it's definitely uh, as a parent it's it's something that you You obviously want the best for your children and mm. and it's always hard to know which way they're gonna go and um, exactly. I hope that I'm able to not hold on in, in a way, in you way. know yes. that each of us have has our path and so just talk us through um you're in Christchurch you've been here for a year or so. How did you get involved in some of the other organizations and, and maybe run through some of those? Because <laughs> I know um, I've been to some events where, you know, the, the Pecha Kucha event in, I think, November. And your name was mentioned by several of the speakers. Yes. And, it, and so clearly you're, you've been behind the scenes and involved in organizing on many different levels. So you just talk us through your attitude and why you got involved in so many things and what those things were.
1: Mm. So I mentioned I spent a year, um, my first year in Christchurch, just volunteering and doing um, bits and pieces of paid work as well, but um, not a lot. So my intentions for that first year was to really get to know the story of Christchurch and see where I can fit in and help with my skills. So with um, the connection to the Power Pavilion and this opportunity to be a barrister at a community cafe, I was able to have conversations with customers and people who come through the space, explaining what the space is, but also understand what their perspectives on how the rebuild is going or looking back into some of um, what's been happening through the earthquakes and also uh, some other initiatives. Um, So from that point on, I was able to um, just say yes to opportunities they come up where um, in conversation a person might be oh yeah we, we might be looking for volunteers to do this community garden work mm-hmm. or do working bees or uh, we're running an event and when we're looking for this so I was one looking for opportunities to get involved and to learn more about Christchurch but in, in on a personal level it was to make friends mm-hmm. and it was very simple as that but what that came with was this generosity of people looking after you in the process of you giving back to their community and in turn I started to get more uh, paid work so my first paid job um, was actually at the Christchurch Arts Festival um, being the front of house manager and that was my first opportunity to um, Understand how an event actually goes, and understand what a run sheet is, <laughs> um, and how do you uh, coordinate different players to make an event mm. um, possible. Mm. And so from then on, I I, I got involved with other uh, organisations um, like TEDx Christchurch. Mm. Um, and Pitch Kucha, um, I was a volunteer and attendee for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now I'm currently the organizer mm-hmm. of Pitch Kucha Night mm-hmm. Christchurch. Um, so
0: what I'm hearing from you is that you had an attitude when you were meeting people and they said, oh, there's this thing happening. You had an attitude of saying yes to those opportunities yes. and yeah. then exploring what they meant. And through those relationships, you then got other opportunities. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think it's good just to have emphasized that (laughs) because I think for many people they might hear of an opportunity but then uh, there's a show on that I need to watch tonight you know Mm. (laughs) there's there's that next step of saying oh I can help here I can do something and Mm. one of the purposes of the podcast is to get stories like yours out because I think if more people listening Mm. had the attitude of yes I can help Mm. then we would live in a very different world and it's really good
1: and one thing that really surprised me was that it wasn't just me saying yes to things; it was other people saying yes to things as well. So I had a lot of um, different projects that I was uh, working on myself, and and it was that courage to ask for help that I think um, is is important to note here as well, as people are always thinking about other people that day don't usually think about themselves and if they're working on a project they have to seek help so it was that giving back and forth and creating that safe space to ask for help that really surprised me mm. yeah
0: that wasn't something you'd have been expecting yes yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and why is it that you think people don't ask for help
1: I, I think they just think it's a hassle for other people or that there's more work for them to coordinate but um, maybe because of the earthquakes, people just naturally became more open to different um, ways of doing things, but also embracing the uncertainty Mm. as well. And it really helped people see what other people can bring to the table Mm. and have an open discussion of what we can all do together to make this one thing happen, regardless to your age, your profession, and where you come from. Mm. It was, hey, let's move forward and let's get this happening. Mm.
0: I agree with yeah. you completely. And I think that it shook up old paradigms, mm. ways of thinking. Yeah. And that it, it, because it involves such devastation and loss of life, Yes. It forced people to think about their own existence mm. and what it is that they wanted to do with their lives. And yeah. I think the danger as time goes by is that people start drifting back into paradigms or the old ways of thinking and and not having that same attitude of giving out, helping, and growing with others. Because ultimately, if you ask for someone for help, they're mm. going to bring a set of skills and experience that you don't have yes. that's going to challenge the way that you do things, yes, but equally you're likely to do things differently and maybe in a better way. So, yes. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. all really good. And so you're involved in a number of different things at that point. Um, I know Ministry of Awesome has been a big part of your life for a while. Do you want to describe a little bit about that?
1: I think it's because of this attitude of saying yes and um, also creating the safe space of asking for help and collaboration that um, I got a chance to meet with Kyla Colbin, uh, who is the ex- TEDx Christchurch curator and licensee here in Christchurch and so I worked on the first TEDx with her and then afterwards um, at that time Kimberly Gilmore who was the events coordinator uh, was leaving her job so we were actually having a conversation about something else that we wanted to work and collaborate together and she brought up hey do you think you know you you could work with Minister Wilson because I'm leaving my job and I've never thought I would, because I at that point, I didn't know what Ministry of awesome was. Right. It just sounded quite cool. Yeah. Um, but it's become a another pivotal point in my life to rethink about my career path and to start creating spaces for other people to create things.
0: That's really great. And for the people listening, if they want to find out more, Kit Hendon, someone who I interviewed, in an earlier episode. I think it's episode number nine. So they can go back and listen to that yes. as well. Because exactly. <laughs> it'll be a nice little, you know, we described chapters in a book yeah. in a way this interview and her one fit oh, together makes, very well. Yes, yeah. indeed. Um, and I'm really curious about the, a word that you've used a couple times. And I just want to better understand what it is, which is curating. What does curating mean for you in the context of these events? And diverse range of people coming to experience something what does it mean
1: to curate something so for me curating um comes in a, in, in a number of of um of different aspects one is to really maximize the benefits of um, everyone that involves and creating um good experiences that help people um have a better understanding of um a certain thing or a A topic in the world or a or raise awareness on a specific issue so the word curate curation or curating for me is how does all of these pieces play together that is then aligned in a linear way to communicate this message while looking after everyone that is a part of it
0: Mm. and so they can all have an experience and and maybe learn something at the same time exactly so architecture and curating and events how do they relate
1: so a lot of the events and programs and um organizations that i'm a part of um all exist in a built environment so without a a purposely built environment to create a amazing experience of and a specific event it won't happen if it's outdoors if it's indoors if it's semi indoors if you've got enough lighting or um, you know the, the right seating the comfort of the seat you know there's there's no way you can maximize that experience mm-hmm. um, so it comes hand in hand where architecture actually serves as a purpose to allow, um, the space to mm. be activated, to um, serve the people that's in it. Mm. And again, the people who are in it actually shapes the architecture.
0: Mm. Yeah. So in a way, there's a nice parallel to your first year at architecture school mm. <laughs> where you said you were learning mm. about needs and, mm. and what people would use buildings for and that type of thing to actually curating events. And so the skills that you learned in architecture school are being applied not to buildings but to building events Mm. and experiences for people
1: Mm.
0: are there any other lessons because many of the people listening will probably never have used the word curating (laughs) but they will organize events or they will have things that they're involved in Mm. are there other tips or tricks that you've learned over the years having done many events that might be helpful for people listening
1: I think uh, because I'm more focused on this uh, community events where the public actually comes in for, uh, to get involved to for a uh, discussion on a certain subject or have a conversation, um, that I always think about the different partnerships that um, I can draw together. So if one um, conversation is focused on climate change or architecture, I would think about who are the other people who are re- already involved in this space and invite them and by doing that um, they have um, this agency to start promoting and also talk about this this event so it actually reaches out to different um, communities that I wouldn't be able to reach out to so I always think about who's involved in the space that I don't want to exclude Um, I don't want it to be my event Mm -hmm. I want it it to be the community's event mm. and owned by the community.
0: So you're looking for synergies with other groups or yes. other people that might fit in well with whatever the topic happens to be. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's really helpful. Um, so having fun is a big part of what you're doing with these events. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk through that a little bit?
1: So um, the, the events that I'm involved with is, again, primary um, community-based. So TEDx Christchurch, Pachakusha Nights ministry of awesome's events including coffee and jam and launch club and breakfast club um, it's really about understanding who is sh- is is working on exciting things and that is always my starting point is how can i learn more about some amazing things that one person is doing that i can get other people to support them so at Ministry of Awesome, we really have this open space for it, but a continuous um, support on um, how do we open up more opportunities for people to um, to have this agency, have this open platform to to share their ideas, mm-hmm. and and also for other people to learn and be inspired to start their own thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's really great. And it's something that I've observed definitely at Coffee and Jam that people do have a go. They stand up and present and maybe they've never done it before. Exactly. It's an opportunity, isn't it?
1: Yeah. yeah. And we always refer to this as social proof. Um, if your best friend um, started something and she stood up at Coffee and Jam or at Petra or at TEDx talking about the thing... And you've been working with her and being her friend for, for a long time. And you're like, oh, if she can do it, I can. Mm-hmm. So it's that social proof of like, yeah, you know, anyone can do anything. And someone who's like you can do it. Of course you can. So yeah. it's really adding and encouraging people and inserting that positive energy, mm-hmm. um, which we all need. Yeah, um, uh, And that's what's unique
0: yeah I think I've spoken twice at Coffee and Jam and enjoyed both of them because yeah. the atmosphere in the room is very positive <laughs> and yeah. very encouraging. Yeah. so it's quite easy. I always try to start with something interesting, you know, and yeah. get people's attention and then loop it back at the mm. end with the conclusion and mm. um, have a bit of fun with mm. the with the crowd and
1: yeah and yeah. and also um with events, I think you need to have a unique simple thing that is always constant. Mm-hmm. So for Pachakcha it's always twenty images in twenty seconds each. Mm. But you can be innovative of what, you know, the story is or the idea is mm. or the project is. And for for TEDx it's it's always an idea with sharing. And for Coffee and Jam it's always two speakers mm. pitching in a new idea mm. or sharing their experience. So it's having something that is constant. Yeah. That can be the framework. But you can innovate beyond that. Mm.
0: So staying consistent with uh, something that that people will hook on to and remember. Exactly. Yeah. And it sounds like all of the things that you've been involved with have involved entrepreneurship in some way, you know, whether it's speakers talking about what they're doing or I'm just curious with some of the um, maybe positive examples of people who stood up at Coffee and Jam and what they've gone on to do. Is there any that spring to mind?
1: Um, were, so I recently joined the board of trustees for Watch the Space. Mm-hmm. So it's a open free resource uh, that maps out all of the street art that is available um, in a visually powerful way um, onto an interactive map. And so when we first met Lindsay Chan, the mm-hmm. founder of Watch the Space, uh, she um, she just rocked on at Coffee and Jam, didn't know expect uh, what to expect. Uh, and when she heard about the shout-outs, she, she just stood up and said, I'm thinking about this project. It kind of looks like this, and uh, who can I talk to? And immediately what sprung into my head were a list of people that she should be connected with. Mm. And I know a lot of people in the audience were like, oh, this is such a great idea, and immediately they were having good conversations, and she was the last to leave at Coffee and Jam. So this was two two years ago. And every time we talk about a new program or um, remind our community about a new thing that we do or or a program that we already do, um, Lindsay would sign up. Mm -hmm. And she would go through the launch club. She would come to breakfast clubs. She would co-work at our co-working space. But she was also working full-time at um, DOC as well. And now she's gotten to a point where um, she has a website, she has a support team, she has a full board member um, or membership all set up um, for her to have the support team Mm. to do what she wants. Yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? Because,
0: you know, you talked about social proof. That's the ultimate social proof, isn't it? If you stand up and give a 20 second pitch or, you know, shout out Mm. and you get validation on your idea.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: And I've worked with Lindsay in the last few months, actually, oh, so cool, great. I'm helping her with some legal stuff behind the yep. scenes. So it's yeah. really great to see somebody with an idea like that mm. able to progress it and, mm. and move it forward.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's not about being perfect. Pictures are never perfect. Mm. But it's the, the courage of just being confident that, you know, you believe in your idea and you're passionate about this idea. Mm-hmm. No one else can take that passion from you. Mm. And that's what's unique about you being an entrepreneur
0: yeah yeah Yeah, that's great so you've learned a lot from many different uh things that you've been involved in what are your sort of plans for the future what do you what what what's really what's your passion to use that word what's your passion going forward what do you plan to do
1: i i want to continue creating uh unique experiences with um an event or a program or, or a space. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately i I really want to create a career path that I am, um, identified as the experienced curator. And I also have, um, this desire to make Christchurch an awesome place, mm-hmm. um, and to really promote Christchurch, um, as a place for everyone to mm-hmm. live, work, contribute back yeah. to the community. Well, we, yeah.
0: I, I introduced you at the beginning as a Christchurch ambassador. So can you unpack what that means and, and what it means to you?
1: Um, for me, I, I chose Christchurch um, as my home. Um, and I think uh, we need more of city ambassadors all over the world uh, to really, um, you know, people who love their city that wants to talk about it and wants to promote everything that is happening that is unique to the city mm. so I started uh, the hashtag CHCH ambassador on social media streams to really help people um, understand that these things are amazing positive things are happening in Christchurch mm. and I want, really want to encourage other people to um, pick up on this Christchurch ambassador and I remember having a conversation with leanne del, del about it and um, i introduced myself as the crash ambassador and she's like i'm the city ambassador <laughs> and I'm like we can have more than one city ambassador <laughs> like let's all be city ambassadors sure. <laughs> so i really want to encourage people to use that title if you want to continue to um uh, love and contribute to christian
0: Well, Leanne's someone else who was interviewed on this Uh, podcast, so um, people can go back and find out more about her life and what she's doing. Mm. But so if you're encouraging people to be using that as a hashtag, is that, or how how would you encourage them to get involved in this?
1: Yeah, just um, use the hashtag, but also um, just be uh, excited about becoming an ambassador. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So on a practical level, if I'm doing a Facebook post or Mm. whatever, and it's a photo of Christchurch, you're encouraging us to go hashtag... Hashtag
1: CHCH yeah. ambassador.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. So you're involved in curating many different events, and going forward you're going to be looking to be the Christchurch ambassador. Um, what, what else about um, events or principles might apply?
1: Uh, so um, so every, every year I actually choose a word um, as my, my goal, Um, or inspiration. Um, So uh, last year was leadership into 2017 and this year is inclusion. So I want to look at different ways of um, inclusive practices within businesses, companies, organisations, events um, and how we can create a more inclusive um, workplace or environment for people to be involved in things Mm. and have a voice. Um, So I've just finished a train-the-trainer course with Ally Skills, uh, which is an um, a open-source um, program where people can uh, facilitate inclusive um, practice workshops with um, different people to understand um, how we can use language, how we can create these spaces to allow more inclusive voices to be heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You, you mentioned that Christchurch is your home. And Yet, you know five years ago or when you first arrived. It was more like a place What is it that's transformed it from being a place or another city to being what you would say is your home?
1: I think um, For starters, uh, I Chose Christchurch to be to be my home and so I had this attitude of staying here for um, a very long time uh, and I think it really comes down to the people that I'm working with and the common vision that we all have for the city. And for me, be Christchurch being home really helped me become an active citizen. Um, so I am more active in the way of um, becoming. Uh, more involved with uh, different conversations on different levels of Mm. how the city is being formed uh, but also um, how my relationship with the people who are like me um, are creating and and continuing
0: Mm. I love it and I think the thing I love the most is the emphasis on community and people you know and I think that's something that the earthquakes taught is that ultimately buildings are buildings and mm. people are people. You know, like that mm. what's important in a place or a community is, is other people rather than the structures.
1: Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, and one, one of the, the um, stories I, I just remembered was um, when I first started Coffee and Jam, I was also um, into photography. So I used the opportunities to document through um, a camera that my dad me mm. um, as a way to honor him and um, creating an opportunity for me to learn a new skill and at one point that camera was stolen mm. at coffee and jam um, and the community came together and crowdfunded me my current camera mm. and so again you know you can see the generosity of the community coming mm. together because they knew that I was helping the community document that story so it really comes around in circles and um, and so now I, I am a photographer as well. Mm. Um, I'm able to help other people and other communities capture their story and mm. using photographs and images um, tell that story mm. as well. Yeah,
0: so. oh, that's awesome. One of the people that is a mutual friend is Jonathan Lee. And so in the podcast interview with him, we talked a lot about photography as art. Mm. Just, to, just to echo some of the conversation with him, what does photography mean for you or why do you think it's so important?
1: For me it's it's really about capturing the, the story and um, and also capturing the context it's in and that comes from my architecture training. Um, so um, currently, I'm, I'm also working with my husband um, and we go out and do conference shoots and wedding shoots um, so we can do more community mm. shoots for free um, to serve the community. Um, but one of the key differences is how we look at space and how we use photography to tell that story within a, d- a certain context. Mm. That is um, really quite... Um, yeah um favorable for mm. for our clients that's great and yeah. if people
0: wanted to find out more about that where would they go to is that peanut productions that would be
1: peanut productions yeah. photography yeah.
0: Yes, and website google that yeah. what we'll do actually is in the show notes for this so um people can read a description about the interview cool. and i try to put in links to things there great. so i'm not sure if people actually realize that but mm. every episode i try to put in Hyperlinks to cool. the the person I'm interviewing. Mm. Um, and so we'll try to. You'll have a lot of. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's a <laughs> few. Here. A, yeah, <laughs> a
1: list. So, in, in that sense, um, this is why um, a, being the Christchurch ambassador mm. is so important to me because I am connected to all the people that you interview. They they lead different movements. And yeah. and, and so, I am actively being the follower of mm-hmm. all of the, mm. the movements. Mm. And so, it's how to be a Christchurch ambassador and how I can help. So support, and grow movements that are happening in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not an entrepreneur myself, but I am a social entrepreneur, mm-hmm. uh, which is to help and work with um, organizations um, within to uh, grow that movement.
0: Right. So, so let's just unpack that a little bit. Social entrepreneur, social entrepreneur. How do you view your role then coming alongside people and helping their organizations? Is that it?
1: Yes. So um, being a social entrepreneur, um, I'm, not the, I'm not the person necessarily coming up with the idea mm-hmm. or the um, creating an organization or a company uh, or a social enterprise, but I am someone who works under a social enterprise or alongside a social enterprise to try and innovate mm-hmm. within that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I understand. Yeah, that's really an important role. The thing that I've loved about our conversation is that I think, you know, I moved back to Christchurch two years ago, having been away for about 15 years. Mm, (laughs) And to me, Christchurch has always been home, even when I wasn't living here. Um, You know, I was living in London and Tokyo and Sydney. But if someone asked me, where are you from? I would always say Christchurch. And That's very confusing for people because of my accent, but I actually moved to New Zealand when I was seven Mm. and was here in Christchurch from basically the age of 13. So this was always home to me, and it's just really special to talk with you and hear about your passion for this city and how you're so involved in many different things. And Mm. I loved your encouraging nature (laughs) that (laughs) that you come alongside people and and help them to achieve what they want to do as well. Mm. So. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say?
1: I just want to encourage, again, people um, to get, just get involved. And I always work on a, a theory of um, creating levels of participation. So, you know, the first of, um, thing you do is, you know, you could go along and attend something that you've never done before. Mm. And then maybe if you like it, you might volunteer at the event or or, or become some... some um, type of um, promoter for their event or you or if you want to be involved and to start um, you know leading in this this type of movement um, become an organizer Mm. and then at some point you might be so into this topic or or um, be an expert in a certain theme you can become a speaker Mm. you know it's that creating that first level of engagement that um, is the hardest part and i i Um, again encourage people to take that first step
0: Mm. and it's actually not that difficult is it with social media Hmm. people have facebook accounts or instagram or twitter or whatever to actually support what other people are doing by sharing content or liking and adding a comment it's actually really encouraging isn't it like and i just love the that through your life i can see um, i guess a pattern emerging Hmm. you know that that you were studying architecture in order to potentially build buildings Mm. and actually the skills that you learned taught you ways of thinking that are helping you build experiences and helping now helping Christchurch and encouraging other people with whatever it is that they're doing. I guess my encouragement to you would be keep doing it because it's great (laughs) and I think you know when I talk with people um, and they had some connection with you that shows me that you're involved in many different things and so that's that's just really great yeah so um thank you very much for coming on the podcast we we didn't talk about purpose as such but i think it interwove through the entire conversation so i didn't feel like we needed to i didn't feel like i needed to ask you that question Mm -hmm. what does purpose mean for you because it was obvious from the things that you're involved in so um yeah once again thank you for your time today well as you could tell with that interview erica has been involved in many many different things and i take great encouragement from her attitude of embracing opportunity Now next week we're going to be speaking with dr jared gilbert about gangs in new zealand here's a fascinating insight into the book that he published so that research that you were doing did that end up becoming like a master's paper or something that was was i wrote a book actually um that that became yeah that which did very well um i was very very lucky um so that's patched
1: it's called the history of gangs in new zealand which among a couple of awards it won um it also has the absolute honor of being the most stolen book
0: in new zealand i'm, I'm reliable <laughs> for. unfortunately there is no award for that but often
1: you'll go to shops and it'll be um they'll just have the cover or something or a photocopy right. of it, or it'll be kept behind the counter because yeah, it just gets flogged in fact the, even the library <laughs> copies um at the university have gone so right. yeah that yeah yeah people love stealing that book
0: well thanks for listening and i do hope you can join me again until next time